This evening, we're looking at two chapters in Daniel. If you're using a pew Bible, um, you want to turn to page 744 this evening as we come to Daniel chapter 7 and 8. A little over a decade ago, I was taking students through the book of Daniel, and I got through six chapters, and I changed our message series. As we were plotting out our Sunday evening sermons, I saw that I had Daniel chapter 7, and I said, okay, it's time. And then we had a schedule change happen, and then I got Daniel 7 and 8. So this evening we will approach it uh, a little bit differently. Uh, instead of reading the entirety of our text this evening, we will take it in chunks and look at what the Lord would have for us in section. I think it would be uh, more digestible that way. But it is a good providence that we would look at both of these chapters together this evening. Here, chapter 7 is somewhat of the central chapter of the book. If the book has 12 chapters, there's a transition between there's been historical narratives in the first ch six chapters, and now we move to visions. And so the type of literature has changed, but this one is a good connecting point. It's a good hinge. It links the first six with the following chapters. It also, interestingly, as you recall, beginning in chapter through chapter two, the text of Daniel in the original was in Aramaic. It was not in Hebrew. And that remains through chapter seven. Chapter eight then picking up again in Hebrew. So this is a, a linking chapter. It is apocalyptic li literature. Before we pray and read, just take notice here alone in chapter 7, verse 2. There it says, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night. And then in verse 7, after this, I saw in night visions. Then in verse 13, I saw once again in night visions. And so it is I saw, and then we could also notice in verses 4, 6, 9, 11, 21, I looked. And in verse 6, I considered. Here God has revealed something to Daniel, and he has done so in a series of images. They are vivid images. And it is not merely a transmission of facts that the Lord has given to Daniel in vision, and at the end of each of these chapters, he is physically impacted by what he sees. This is the purpose of apocalyptic literature, is to leave a lasting and deep impression on Daniel, and it is to do the same for us today. A helpful way to think about it is a, a line from G.K. Chesterton. This was actually in the introduction to a children's book. And he says this, and I quote, don't believe in anything that cannot be told in colored pictures. 
And here we come to where the Bible meets us in very vivid and at times terrifying but ultimately comforting images meant to leave a lasting impression on us. Before we begin our look at Daniel 7 and 8 this evening, let, it, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help again. Our great God, this is your word, and you have spoken. We thank you, Lord, for the variety that you have in your written word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that it meets us in poetry, it meets us in history, it meets us in letters, and here tonight it meets us in very vivid images. May we, too, receive and be rightfully and appropriately impacted by the message of these chapters this evening. So speak to us through your word that Christ would be glorified in our hearts and that we would grow in his grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Let's begin by looking at the first eight verses of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head. And as he lay in his bed, then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw, and in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, and he had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, Another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns, and I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the horns were plucked by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Amen. And so far, God's word to us. What does the vision open with? It opens with the sea. Now, when we think of great bodies of water, we may not think of it the same way that Daniel and his companions and those in his day would have thought of. For the most part, though they are mysterious and deep and they're always finding new things in the ocean, modern man is not intimidated by the sea. But in ancient times, and particularly in Daniel's day, still the sea was a terrible thing. It was a, a, a scary thing. There it was a, a picture of 
universal chaos. And that is the opening thing that, that Daniel is, is brought to in this night vision. A picture of chaos. And out of it comes beast. It is a picture of godlessness and instability. Imagine being on an ancient ship and being tossed and stuck at sea with no help or hope. And this is how the opening vision begins for Daniel. It is a picture of what, it li what it's like to live in a fallen world. The chaotic sea. And out of it comes four beasts. The first beast there begins in verse 4. It was like a lion and had wings. And then it looked, and then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground. And it was made to stand like two feet, like a man. And the mind of the man was given to it. Biblical scholars are agreed that here, this first beast that comes up that represents a king of one of the kingdoms of this world is that of Babylon. So this was the, the beast ruling in Daniel's day, there in verse 4. Also, it's referenced later in verse 17. The prophet Jeremiah referred to the Nebuchadnezzar as a lion. Ezekiel referred to him as an eagle. And this beast is raised up and given a mind like a man, which is similar to the account in which Nebuchadnezzar was cast down for a season because of his pride, and God drove him to insanity and then restored his faculties. But then it moves on to the next beast. It is a bear. It is a bear who is destroying. It is a bear that, as it arrives on the scene in the vision, it has its previous kill still in its mouth, three ribs. Well, the kingdom that was to follow in Daniel's day, follow the, the Babylonian empire, was that of the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel is now under the reign of the last Babylonian king. This is what is to come and to see. Then followed by, in verse 6 there, the third beast. This beast is a leper with four wings on, and of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Here you see the progression of a lion with eagle's components to a ravenous bear, to now a more dangerous predator. There is a, a progression of the kingdoms of this world that they are, from God's perspective, and all from their stateliness and their grandeur, God sees the godless rulers of history as beasts. And this one is a swift one. It's the Greek empire most likely. Its swiftness is seen in a way that the empire advances. And then in verse 7, there's the fourth beast. But interestingly, this one's different than the rest. It's more troubling to Daniel than the rest. It's the one that 
he can't shake quite easily. And with this beast, there's ten horns, and among the ten horns, then there arises this little horn. But interestingly, the little horn is not described in beastly description, but as a more human-like description. There it says, it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. But then the scene, the scene shifts rather quickly. As Daniel would have been terrified of, of the succession of these beasts, as he would have been troubled by this final beast and concerned about this little horn, then the scene changes. Let's look at verse 9 through 14. Look back in God's word. And Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And his clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. Its streams of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And I looked, then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. The scene shifts in such a way that it is a dramatic shift. From the chaos of beast arising out of the sea... Daniel is brought before the throne of God. And the heavenly court is assembled. And it's a much different scene. It is not a terrifying scene in the same way that the beasts are. It is an awe-inspiring scene. There we have the name of God that's only found in this chapter. One of his names is the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days is there before the heavenly court, and we get a description. Now, we're not to think that God is this. This is a vision in which the Ancient of Days is described in order to leave in Daniel an idea of God's character, his power. But we're not to imagine that there is a physical throne with a a man who appears to be an old man, the Ancient of Days. This is a, a vision to teach us something. And what does it teach us? First, it begins with that the Ancient of Days is clothed in a white garment, white as snow. That in contrast to the predatory beast, the Ancient of Days is one who is all righteousness, all pure. There is no evil. There is no harm. There is no reason to be terrified of his maliciousness because there is no maliciousness in him. Then he is said to have white hair that is pure as wool. It is a sign of, of age and of wisdom. This ancient of days is the one who is all wise, all knowing. And from his throne comes fire. From his throne comes fire, and we are to see as the fire of judgment. 
that the Ancient of Days is the one who will then judge the kings of this world. Psalm 50, verses 3 to 4 says, Our God comes. He does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire, and around him a tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. And Daniel, who's now spent decades in exile, who now has been away from Jerusalem for almost the entirety of his life, a man who has not been able to participate in the temple worship, a man who's been separated from the gathered singing and reading of God's word, in this vision, there's a great comfort to him. Because in verse 10, those who are around the throne, those who serve the ancient of days, it's thousands and thousands. Think about that. Think of the comfort that would have been for Daniel. The reminder that he's not alone. And that though from one perspective, the events of history is the chaotic sea, he gets a view of the God who rules over all. And in there, there are thousands and thousands. And then the, the little horn that concerned Daniel in verses 11 and 12, he's just taken out. It's not very dramatic. Look at verse 11 again. I looked then, and because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. This little horn that was, that was terrifying, the most terrifying of the beast, the one speaking these great words, in a moment, the Ancient of Days judges him, and he is no longer to be feared. Then, in verses 13 to 14, look there with me now. The vision returns, and now he sees one of the Son of Man. Look at verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that will not be destroyed. Here, there is one who is enthroned with the Ancient of Days. And the beast in the earlier part of the vision, they have human-like qualities, but they're predominantly beast. This one is called like a son of man. That he is the true man. That he is all that man was intended to be and created to be. Here is the one that is worthy of dominion, the true image. And he is given that dominion. This is the one whom all men should aspire to and look to. The first son of man was Adam. Adam was given God-given dominion and lost it because of sin. But here is the Son of Man who is worthy of that dominion. 
and who is without sin. And it is from this that this is a title that Jesus takes for himself in his earthly ministry. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to himself 81 times as the Son of Man. It was his preferred title that he gave to himself. Part of the reason was, was that in his day, the, the Jews, they had, they had a Messiah expectation, but they didn't know what to do with this verse here. There, one, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. And so when he takes this title for himself, he's taken a title that doesn't carry the baggage as other messianic titles would have in his day. And so when Jesus speaks of himself being the Son of Man, he uses it in John 6, 62, to speak of his preexistence. There Jesus said, if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, he's referencing that he was a preexistent one. In John chapter 3, 14 and 15, he uses the Son of Man title to reference that he is one who must suffer. There he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Then in John 6, 53 and 54, he says that all who will be saved must be personally joined to him. Where he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And then in John 5, 25 and 27, he uses the Son of Man title to speak of the coming judgment and final judgment where Jesus says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. And so in the midst of Daniel's exile, a vision of the ancient of days, a vision of the Son of Man to come. But Daniel wants to know the interpretation of the dream. And so let's look back and we'll complete our reading of chapter 7 now. Let's begin in verse 15. And as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. 
He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the laws, the times, and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion of the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. Verse 28, here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter of in my heart. Here, towards the close, Daniel's given a great comfort that the little horn will not prevail over the saints of the Most High. And we're given some key insight into who this little horn is by the actions, by what he does. So go back and there, look again, again at verse 25. What does the little horn do? Well, he does three things here. He shall speak words against the Most High. There, it's, he's speaking blasphemies. Then, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He is persecuting God's people. And then the third thing, and he shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for times, times, and a half time. He seeks to control the law in time. This is something that belongs to deity. This little horn is self-deifying. He's self-deification. And this is why that in the, the history of the church, this has been understood that what Daniel is seeing is he's seeing an, an image here in the vision of the final antichrist. The one who would oppose God, oppose his people, and claim to himself what only belongs to God. The one that the Apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Proclaiming himself to be God. This is who Daniel sees here. And though he does great harm and though he is truly terrifying, his reign will come to an end. And did you notice what happens? Once the little horn is, is done away with, it is the saints of the Most High that the kingdom is given to. Back in verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. We might expect that the Ancient of Days would have given the kingdom to the Son of Man. But here, as the vision goes on and the interpretation is given, the kingdom is given to the saints. And this is a reminder to us that though evil is terrifying, 
we share in the victory of the Son of Man. And that he, in the end, will return and vanquish his enemies. And all those who are united to him are united to him in his victory. And persecution may come. And we may see it. It may be for generations to come or it may be in this generation. But we are assured that the Ancient of Days has given to the kingdom, given the kingdoms to the Son of Man and to his saints. There's more to be said from this chapter, but in the next 10 minutes or so, let's look at Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 takes what was said in Daniel chapter 7, big picture, the scope of history, the devolving and de-evolution of the kingdoms of this world and the eternal kingdom of the Son of Man in the Ancient of Days is the big picture. And now we're giving a snapshot of it playing out in history. We can do so, and we can say so, because in the vision, Daniel is given very explicit interpretations. So the way that we'll approach our look at Daniel chapter 8 is this way. We'll look at part of the vision and then part of the interpretation. Part of the vision, then part of the interpretation. Daniel 8, verses 1 through 4. Look there with me now. In the third year of the reign of the king of Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. Daniel. After that, which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in the Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the banks of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. And I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue him from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Now look then later in the chapter to verses 15 through 20. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me, and he made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. So there, in verse 20, the ram with the two horns, we are told explicitly, is the kings of Media and Persia. Now, the Babylonian Empire, as Daniel has received this vision, has not yet been conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. And the Medo-Persian Empire is a fitting description here. Because in history we see that this ram that had the, the two horns, one was higher than the other. Well, the Persian part of the Medo-Persian Empire was the stronger part. 
And then we're told that this, this rams went across in every direction of the compass. Well, the Persian Empire spread to Babylon, Syria, Asia Minor in the west, to Armenia and the Caspian Sea in the north, and into Africa in the south. It's a very fitting picture. And this second vision would have given Daniel confidence to what we saw in Daniel chapter 5. That as he confronts Belshazzar, for Belshazzar's wicked sin, he knows that the Babylonian Empire is coming to an end. He's seen the vision. He's seen the vision of the ram with the two horns. And so he is emboldened in his day to speak with courage and conviction. And he does so. But then the ram with the two horns is then confronted by a goat with a horn between his eyes. Look at verses 5 and 8. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the, ho- the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram, and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. Now look at verses 21 and 22 now. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. Greece is the goat. Not only does Daniel get a vision that the Persian Empire is coming, that the Greek Empire is coming. And it comes like this male goat charging. It is led by Alexander the Great, the large horn of here of Daniel chapter 8. Remind you that Alexander the Great became general when he was 21 years old. And he basically conquered the known world by the time he was 26. And then he died at the age of 33. Verses 6 and 7 give a fitting image of his defeating of Darius the Persian and their forces in 344 B.C. It was there that Alexander led 35,000 men to defeat 100,000 footmen and 10,000 horsemen. And it was reported that at least 20,000 Persian troops were lost, but only 100 Greek troops. But as quickly and as great as his reign was, it was a short one. And at the death of his kingdom, at his death, his kingdom was divided into four regions. And then out of those regions, We then get the next image here, the little horn. Alexander being the great horn, but there's this little horn. Look at verses 9 through 14. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the hosts of some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. And it became great, even as great as the prince of the host. 
and the regular burnt offerings were taken away from him, and the place of the evening uh, of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offerings because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long the vision concerning the regular burnt offerings, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. And then the close of the chapter, verses 23 through 27. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king, bold of face, one who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction, and he shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men, the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The visions of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers for many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. And then I rose and went about the king's business and was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. The key to identifying the little horn and the king who arises is that where Daniel saw in the vision that this little horn had animosity and hatred towards the glorious land. That he was one who was intent on persecuting the Jewish people. And that he had an extreme hatred for the people of God. This is not to be seen as the same little horn of chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the picture of the final Antichrist. But here, chapter 8, we get one of the Antichrists who comes along in the course of of human history. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, the Apostle John says that there have been many antichrists and there are more to come. And here is a description of one in his work. It is Antiochus Epiphanes. One of the foreign horns of the Alexander Empire was Syria, which was governed by one of Alexander's generals. And out of it came the Seleucid dynasty. And Antiochus, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes emerged within this dynasty bearing the characteristics of the little horn. He was uh, a man of, of great wit and wisdom. It speaks of the little horn with the riddle. And it was under his reign that the temple sacrifices were ceased. He is a predecessor to the final Antichrist. He came to power in 175 B.C. And he gave himself the title Epiphanes, which means the illustrious God. And he expanded his dominion to Palestine. And he replaced the high priest in Jerusalem. He left Jerusalem and went on to attack Egypt. And while he was there, it was rumored that he was killed. And so there was an attempt to reinstate a genuine high priest in Jerusalem. But upon his return, he was enraged at what had happened while he was gone. 
and he executed tens of thousands. And he entered into the Holy of Holies and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. In 168 BC, he blamed military defeat against the Jews and massacred Jews gathered for Sabbath worship. The psalmist in Psalm 79, 1 and 4, describes it. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defied your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. And it was during this time that a Jew named Judas Maccabus leads a revolt against Antiochus Epiphany and his reign of terror. And it was Antiochus Epiphany dies under mysterious circumstances, returning from Persia. The second vision here is terrifying, but it gives us comfort that God would not allow our enemies to reign over us indefinitely. As one has put it, God's destruction of Antiochus is a foretaste of his final destruction of the Antichrist. Daniel is to have insight into this. What is the insight that the Lord wants him to see? Well, he wants him to see the nature of the conflict that God's people are in. That evil is incompatible with God's kingdom and it must be eradicated. And it will be. He wants us to see the little horn and its twistedness and sin's power to destroy and having seen this, Daniel becomes sick because he's a man who's committed to God's kingdom. And though he won't see, live to see this day, he is concerned for the people of God beyond himself and beyond his life. And we too find ourselves in such a situation that as we look at passages like this in Scripture, we are to live today considering the end. The end that has been revealed in God's word. That we should not be surprised by persecution, but we take comfort in it. That Christ has conquered and will return. So what are some takeaways from Daniel 7 and 8 that we can leave with tonight? We are not to be naive about the power of evil. We see it in the lives of individuals, families, neighborhoods, and nations. We should not be naive about the power of evil. And relatedly, we should not be surprised by persecution. Until Christ returns, we should not be caught off guard But what do we do between now and that day? We need to remember the vision of Daniel chapter 7. You and I will be tempted to fix our eyes on the chaotic sea. But we've already been shown 
a picture of the throne. We've already been shown that our hope is that we share in the victory of the Son of Man. So dear brothers and sisters tonight, let us go from this place with our eyes fixed on the throne and our confidence in the Ancient of Days. Let us pray and ask for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Our great God, it is to you that we place our confidence. We thank you that you're a God who knows the end from the beginning and that your scripture equips us to be those who patiently wait for the return of our Savior. Help us to do so. Help us to do so when we confront sin in our own lives if we wait for glorification and help us to do so as we long for the eradication of evil and sin in the world around us. Help us to fix our eyes on the Son of Man and may our hope be fixed and rested in Him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.